So today's message is called The Darkest Hour. We have been going through this entire story of the Bible in 31 weeks, and I don't know where we are, but we are at the cross. How do we understand the darkest hour on this planet when Jesus went to the cross and died for us? Um, each week, we've really been looking at the lower story first. What what actually happened in history from man's perspective? And so as we contemplate what happened in Jerusalem in the spring of 33 AD, what, what was actually going on in the lower story? It's actually a fairly typical story of those who have power and privilege stomping out those who are powerless because they feel threatened. To grasp the, the dynamics of what was going on, we have to just understand how Judah was led at that time. King Herod died in um, 1 BC. When he died, he left his kingdom uh, to his three sons. He also left them their, his name, which actually makes it very confusing. But what he did not leave them is his title as king. Instead of making one of his sons the next king, he divided the kingdom in three ways. Uh, one was made an ethnarch, which is half the kingdom, and that was his son Archelaus, and he took the name Herod. So it was Herod Archelaus. He was over half the kingdom, and that part is the part of Israel known as Judea. Antipas was given Galilee. He's called a tetrarch. He was over a fourth of the kingdom, and he took his name. So it's Herod Antipas. And of course, he's the one that was over Galilee, and so he's the Herod we deal with in the Gospels. The other son, Philip, was also a tetrarch. He got the other fourth of the kingdom. Well, here's what happened. Those three are ruling. Archelaus was horrible, so horrible, that the Jewish leadership um, wrote to Augustus in Rome and, and begged him, please replace him. And so in 6 AD, he sent a procurator who came from Rome, and Israel became under the direct supervision, the direct taxation of Rome. Pontius Pilate is the fifth procurator. He ruled from 26 to 36 AD in Judea. This is confirmed by many sources. But just so we understand how Rome led their outlying countries that they had conquered, all they were concerned about was peace. It's called Pax Romana. And the way they achieved peace is they would let countries govern themselves. When there was a procurator, the main thing he's there to do is keep the peace and collect the taxes. As long as Rome gets paid, they don't really care what this thing looks like. So Pilate is there, but the idea of him just kind of ruling everything, that's not how it ran. There was a group of priests and religious leaders called Pharisees. The Sadducees were the priests, and the Pharisees were the religious leaders, and they, 
they were the ones that controlled the people. So Pilate worked very closely with them and wanted to help them keep the peace because his name was on the line for any disruptions that happened. Peace was very fragile, especially in Judea. So here we go. Lazarus is raised from the dead. John 11, 46 through 48. Right after he's raised from the dead, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin is the governing board. It's, It's Congress in that day. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. We are in charge of the peace. We are in charge of control. It is our job. We've got a problem. This guy, he's got no position. We didn't endorse him. We didn't give him. And he's got thousands following. And he's doing miracles. That can't. We've got to do something. We're in charge. If, if this gets out, this disruption is going to cause us to lose our place. It's going to break the peace. Now here's a, here's a warning. The peace that mere human control brings is the peace of a prison camp. You you can have peace, but what is the cost when it's human beings trying to make peace and and making peace the final goal? So they've got to do something. Six days before Passover, March 28, 33 A.D., There is a party at the home of Simon the leper. Used to be a leper. Now he's been healed. For Jesus and Lazarus, who's just been raised from the dead. During this party, a woman comes in. Mary of Bethany comes in, pours this perfume on Jesus' feet, and wipes his feet with her hair. And uh, one of the disciples named Judas Iscariot says this. Why this waste? This, this could have been, this money could have been used for the poor. And John makes this comment about Judas. Judas did not care for the poor. Judas was the treasurer and he was a thief. Judas was concerned about Judas. This perfume that's poured out that's expensive, that was his money. That was, that was money he could have taken from. Judas was all about self-preservation. So he's not afraid to publicly humiliate this woman. Well, Jesus turns to Judas and says, what she has done is is worship to me. It's, It's an anointing for my burial. What she has done will be repeated wherever the gospel is preached. So Judas is publicly rebuked. And in Matthew's gospel, it says the very next verse, 
Judas, in this sting, in this wound, in this humiliation, in this, is so angry, he immediately goes to the priests. Here's what it says. Matthew 26. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? They counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. Here, here was the plan. See, they couldn't take him during the day. He was too popular. There were too many around. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were very concerned about the crowds. If we take him during the day, we're going to cause a riot. So we have to find him at night, and we have to find him when he's away from the crowds. So they make this plan with Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Judas explains to them he has this place of prayer where he takes the disciples privately. Of course, they're not going to know which one is him when it's just a few of them. He says, I will kiss him. That will be the sign. And so they arrange this privately. So it is Thursday night. It is Nisan 14 on the Jewish calendar. This is the day of Passover. It is the preparation day. You, you sacrifice the lamb on Passover and then you eat that meal on Nisan 15, which is the first day of unleavened bread. It is Nisan. Jewish calendar starts in the evening and then goes to the next evening. So it is Nisan 14. They are praying in, at their place of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here comes Judas with the temple guards. Or the, or the priests come with the temple guards to this place of prayer. Judas is already with the disciples. He comes, gives Jesus a kiss so that they can recognize him. And, Judah, and, and they take Jesus away by force and put him on trial. The first trial is with the Sanhedrin. They, they are accusing him of blasphemy. Are you the son of God? And here's Jesus' reply. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is, this is a quote from Daniel chapter 7 that says, indeed, He is the Son of God. He is the Anointed One. He is the Christ that is coming. He is the one that sits next to the Ancient of Days and would come and be the judge of the whole earth. And so the high priest turns to the other guys, we don't need any other proof than this. He has to die. He has to die for blasphemy. The problem is, is he's a very public figure. Technically, it's illegal for them to kill anyone in Rome. Only Rome can, can do the death penalty. Now, if this is a lesser figure, they have no problem killing people. They, they stoned Stephen. They, 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 they picked up stones to kill the woman caught in adultery. But when it's this public of a person, they need Rome to do their dirty work. So what they do is they take Jesus, the, the Sanhedrin takes Jesus to Pilate, the Roman procurator. Now, they can't bring the religious charge of blasphemy. Pilate could care less about what their belief is. This, it has to be political for Jesus to die. So here's their charge, Luke 23. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. 
And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Okay, do you guys see what they're they're doing here? They're pushing the hot buttons. Taxes, that's the main thing. And they're saying he calls himself a king. Well, Pilate is there to protect Augustus, who is the king of Rome. There's only one king over the Roman Empire. Pilate knows exactly what they're doing. He knows this is envy, this is jealousy. First, he sends him away because it's Passover. Antipas, Herod Antipas, is in town. Everybody's in town. Herod Antipas has his own place in Jerusalem. So he he says, oh, you're you're from Galilee. We're going to let Antipas take care of this. So he sends him over to Herod Antipas, and uh, Jesus won't even talk to Antipas. So they mock him over there, and they send him right back over to Pilate. And Pilate has got this mess on his hands. On top of it, his wife has had a dream the night before warning him, don't have anything. This man's innocent. Don't do anything to him. So Pilate brings him into his private quarters and says, are are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, "It, it is as you say. And Pilate's like, he comes back out. He says, he's committed no crime. It's, it's not a crime to say you're a king if you don't really have a position as king and you're not doing it. it, it you, he's committed no crime. But the Sanhedrin has stirred up the people and they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And there was a Roman custom to release one prisoner on Passover. It was, once again, to keep the peace. One, one more way. It was a gift he gave. And, and there was another guy on that was being held named Barabbas who really was a zealot trying to overcome Rome. And he said, who's it going to be? Is it going to be the, the king of the Jews or is it going to be Barabbas? And they said, give us Barabbas. And so Barabbas was freed and Jesus was flogged and then turned over for Roman crucifixion. Jesus hung on the cross from 9 a.m. The the trials went all night long. The the one with Pilate was early morning. By 9 a.m., they have him on the cross. He's there until 3 p.m. A storm comes in, bringing darkness over the land. As Jesus says the words, it is finished. There's an earthquake causing a Roman guard to say, surely... This was the Son of God. So that's the lower story. That's what happened in our history. Those with power and privilege felt threatened, and they squelched it out using their manipulations, using their false accusations, using whatever means they could. Okay, so what's the upper story? Well, from Jewish history... Nisan 14, very important day. Nisan 14, all the way from when they came out of Egypt, was when they celebrated Passover. 
Passover originally was when they came out of Egypt, they were to find a, a lamb without blemish. They were to inspect a, their lambs and find one without blemish and sacrifice it on Nisan 14 and apply the blood of the lamb to their doorposts and all those that were covered would be passed over when judgment came to Egypt. And so the Jews had been celebrating Passover for their whole history. So on this day, at the very time that all the lambs, all the lambs in the temple had, had to be sacrificed before 3 p.m. because the meal was that night. While the lambs for Passover were being sacrificed, the upper story was being fulfilled. The Lamb of God on Passover was being sacrificed. Revelation 13.8 says this, Jesus is the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. This is the upper story. This always was the upper story. God who created us, who created all things, foreknew sin, foreknew that we were going to go the wrong way, that free will was going to lead to uh, uh, us being separated from him. And so from the beginning made a plan whereby he himself would come into earth. He would live his life before us. He would be the lamb that was inspected by trials and found to be innocent and without blemish. And then he would be sacrificed as the Passover lamb. John says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the good news. God loves us. A holy God came into this world and lived so that he could die in our place, so that he could remove sin and remove the barrier between us and a relationship with God. This is the upper story today. John 6:44 says this, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. And people have taken this verse and made doctrines around it. So the key is to be lucky enough to be one of the ones the Father draws. Boy, I sure hope I'm one of those ones that gets drawn. And, and then those that aren't drawn, sorry. Well, Jesus says this. This is, the, this, is the, this is who the Father draws. Listen to this. This is our verse for the missions conference in our text this morning. John 12, 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. All. All people. We lift this verse out of context 
and say, you know, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher. And as we just lift him up in our praise and lift him up in our life, that all people will be drawn. But the, the very next verse says what Jesus is referring to. This is a reference to the kind of death he was going to die. This is a reference to crucifixion. Him being lifted up is him being lifted up on that cross. And the promise of the Father was this. If you will go, if you will die for them, I will draw all people. I will draw all people. He doesn't draw us all at the same time, and he doesn't draw us all in the same way. But the Father is committed. Jesus loves every single human being, even those that hate him right now. He loves them. He died for them. And he is drawing all people to himself. This is the upper story. Folks, whatever has happened in your life, whatever you have gone through, whatever thing has caused you maybe even to question God's existence, here is the upper story. God loves you. Jesus died for you. This is the bedrock of faith. A precious woman in our congregation sent me an email a few weeks ago and I responded to her at the time and when I was preparing this message, I just sent her an email. I said, would you mind if I gave your question, the question you, because I think it's a question that many have. And she's like, she writes right back, says, absolutely, if this could help somebody. Here's the question that she wrote to me. She emailed to me. Hi, Pastor Tom. I hope you are doing well. I come to church on Sundays still, but stay pretty quiet. I have been struggling a lot lately with self-worth. Do you have any words of wisdom for a weary heart? And I, I wrote back these words. Your worth is measured not by what others say or by what you say, but by what God says. God paid for you with the blood of his son. The value of something is what someone else is willing to pay. That's a lot of value. He calls you his favored, beloved daughter. The challenge is to agree with what God says and not what you think, others think, or demons think. This is the upper story. This is who you are. You are the beloved of God. Whether you're living like you are or not, you are the beloved of God. And that brings us to point three, living our lives in view of the upper story. So here is the scariest thing right now on the planet. It it makes me tremble how scary this is. Free will. Free will has led to an absolute disaster on this earth. Man's original free will led to the curse that is still on creation, that will not be reversed until Jesus comes again. The curse that causes the earth itself to have earthquakes and hurricanes and wildfires and tornadoes and everything is out of whack on this earth. I don't know if you've noticed that lately. 
So that's the result of free will. And then you've got the free will of people that are choosing to live out of their wound. People that are are choosing to do horrible things, cheat, rob, living for self-preservation where it's all about me and I don't care about anybody else. And bad, horrible things are happening to innocent people because of free will. And then here's God's response. I'm going to come in the midst. I'm going to love them like no one has ever loved them by dying for them on the cross. And then I'm going to use that act of pure sacrificial love to draw, to draw all people to myself. Did you notice the word draw? It's a very different word than the word force. Draw, the very implication of draw is I am honoring free will. I'm going to draw them I'm going to draw them. I'm going to make a way for them to come. And no one can come unless you are drawn by God's spirit and God's love first. But just because he's drawing you doesn't mean that you're going to be among the chosen. The Bible says that many are called. We've learned from our text today, actually everybody is called. But Jesus said few are chosen. That doesn't seem right. Why would God call many and only choose a few? Free will. Free will. It's It's God's desire that none perish, but that all come to the knowledge of the truth. But his higher will is that you and I be free. And so he will draw us. So I want us to first talk about living living life in view of the upper story. I want you to relook at your darkest hour. I want you to see your darkest hour through God's eyes, through the upper story. You might be here today. Maybe that's why you're here today. You're in a very dark hour. You're an hour of maybe addiction, maybe betrayal, maybe bankruptcy, maybe some type of affliction. And here you are today. How do we think about the darkest hour? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, 26 and 27. It says that God is going to once more shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Look at the reason. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. When God allows things to shape, when God allows difficulty, when God allows darkness and your whole life gets shaken, your whole life gets dismantled, it all becomes something you did not sign up for. The reason is, is so that that which cannot be shaken will be revealed. So that you will be able to see the thing that's really important. When, when, when we see the devastation, and thank you for your response to Hurricane Harvey, amazing response from here to those that are in need down there. But when we see something like that happen, it's hard for us, isn't it, to not imagine, what, what if that happens to me? What if that did happen to me? Well, I've got a promise for you. Maybe not that exact thing, but something like that will happen to you. Here's the promise of this life. This is this life. Here's what Jesus said. 
the wind and the waves are going to crash against every life. The difference between the believer and the unbeliever is not, well, believers will have no wind and waves crash against their life. Only that, that's only going to happen to unbelievers. No, no. It's, wind and waves are coming to every single life. But those who have invested in me, those who have invested in those things that cannot be shaken, after the wind and the waves come, they will still be there. They will still stand. And here's the amazing thing. You actually become better after the wind and the waves have gone out because you're more connected to heaven. You're more connected to that which cannot be shaken. And even though you lost that loved one or you lost that business or you lost that marriage or you lost whatever it is that you was your, your holding, your life, your God uses. Have you noticed that these stories? When, when does faith come? Darkest hour. It's the darkest hour when everything is shaking that we realize I need something. There's nothing in this life to hold on to. I need something more. And so God in his mercy allows shaking so that those things that cannot be shaken will become clear to us. August 1st, 2007, the I-35 bridge in Minneapolis collapsed. 13 people died, 145 people were injured. Here's the tragic thing. They knew. They knew the foundation of that bridge was faulty. They had been warned that it was faulty. So, Here's what they had decided a year earlier because they had been told this, they had been warned, this thing is eventually going to collapse. Here's what they decided the year before. We're going to delay fixing the foundation for two reasons. One, the incredible expense of, of working on the foundation. And two, for the incredible inconvenience it will cause to close this bridge down for a foundation repair. So here's what they use the money for instead. Cosmetics. When the bridge collapsed, now this is the mercy of God, four lanes, it's an eight-lane bridge. Four lanes were closed because they were resurfacing the tar. They were putting new lights up, more attractive lights. The cosmetics were all being attended to. And then the foundation was destroyed. Here's what Jesus said about the end times. Listen to this, Luke 17. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus is coming back. He's coming. He came the first time as Savior. We are living in the time of salvation, the time of God's favor and God's grace, and it is time. He is drawing us all to respond to his love. When he comes back, he comes back as judge. And notice what's going on in this verse. People aren't doing anything bad. It's just they're only involved in cosmetics. If there's ever a day that this world is becoming secularized, it's right now. Religion is the enemy right now. 
And so people are becoming secularized, and it's all about eating and drinking and the new restaurant and the new recipe. It's all about planting and building and how can I get ahead and how can I... And we can be working on all of these things, giving all these energy to our, our business, our farm, our land, our retirement, our food, our, our, all of these things that are all cosmetics and become ungodly people. Asaph, at the end of his story, said this, those who are far from you will perish, but the nearness of God is my good. So do you see that it's the mercy of God that interrupts our lives now when our lives are becoming more and more just about me and here and now? Guys, this isn't about time. This is about eternity. When God breaks in, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he, he does love you. He wants to do work on the foundation. I'll tell you what, if you've got Jesus, well, here's what Asaph said. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And having you, I desire nothing else on this earth. That's a free person. That's a rich person. Whatever happens to my stuff, whatever wind blows, whatever waves, I got something beyond this world, praise God. I got something this world can't take away. Let's wind this up. So let me just urge you before I close that point. Do not waste your trials. Don't waste your hurricane. Don't waste your bankruptcy. Don't waste your betrayals. Don't waste whatever it is that's happened uh, on this world to shake your life. Don't waste it. Draw near to God. Asaph drew near to God. He said, I was bitter and I was about to betray the, the, the children of men by speaking out of my bitterness. And then he said, then I came into the sanctuary of God and everything became clear to me. The Bible says, draw near. Jesus is our high priest. Therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to obtain help in your time of need and to obtain mercy and grace. God is waiting for you, not with judgment. It's a throne of grace right now. It's a throne of grace. He is inviting us to get past our offense, to get past our hurt, and to draw near and say, God, is there a higher purpose? Don't waste your dark hour. Use, use it to rebuild the foundation. I know it's inconvenient. And then our purpose. Jesus said that he chose us that we might bear fruit, which sounds really good, except the way you bring, bear fruit. Here's how you bear fruit. A seed has to go in the ground and die, and then it will bear much fruit. Here's what he says in John 12. 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. 
Jesus said, listen, I came not to preserve myself. I came to die to myself, to allow this cross. And he invites all of his followers to take up their own cross and to follow him. And this is the beauty that draws all people. This is how we become part of the drawing. When instead of living for self-preservation, instead of clinging to our life and our comfort and our convenience, we willingly lay our lives down and follow Jesus, then people, real people in this world, see Jesus in us. They see, whoa, there's something more. And it really sticks out because this world, everybody's so used to selfishness. They're so used to everybody being about their own thing. When somebody actually cares and reaches out and helps and loves and uses money they could have used for themselves and give it to somebody else, it shines like a bright light. And it says more loudly than words, Jesus is alive and God loves you. So missions week. Here's what missionaries are. We got missionaries coming from all over the world. Here's what missionaries are. They are people that died to whatever their dream might have been for their life or their dream for their own comfortable all-American dream. And they agreed with God's purpose for their life and said, God, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. And they are agreeing with God's purpose. And because of that, they are bearing much fruit. Now, they can't go unless somebody sends them. So what the same God who calls them to die by going calls us to die by supporting them, by coming alongside them, by by praying for them, by giving to them to make it possible for them to go. There was an article that I read this week about martyrs. There is, right now, there is a war going on against Christianity in the nation's The data attributed to the late researcher David Barrett puts the number of Christians martyred since the time of Jesus at 70 million. 70 million people have been called by God to give their lives for their faith. When I say lives, I mean get killed. 70 million have died because of faith in Christ. Now, you and I might not be called to be a martyr. We may may not be called to go to a foreign, dangerous field. But we need to recognize this. Every single one of us is called to have that attitude. That Jesus, my life is not my own. It belongs to you. If I need to die so that fruit can come, show me how to die to myself so that your fruit can come forth. So this is, we've titled the missions conference for this purpose. And the purpose verse is John 12, 32, that Jesus through his death, is drawing all people to himself. And we are joining that purpose when we join our missionaries. So how do we accomplish this? Do we rise up and be these really amazing people? It's interesting. Let me finish the lower story. Judas was not the only person that lived for self-preservation. Guess who else did? The main guy, Peter. Peter, who said, I will die for you. They might all, they might all betray you. They might all, but I'll die for you. And Jesus is like, Peter, please, buddy, I love you. You're going to deny me three times before the cock cross. 
And then it says that when Jesus went to the cross, he explained to them, all of you are going to flee. Everybody's going to flee in self-preservation. Wow, how discouraging. But Jesus still loves us, and when he rises from the dead, he says this to them. He says, I want you guys to go wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power from heaven. And you are going to be my, and we translate it, witnesses. Well, here's the word. It's martyrous. It's, it's martyr, our word martyr with A-S at the end. That's the Greek word. You are going to be my witnesses by being willing to die for me. And this is going to happen not because of human goodness and willpower, but because of the power of the Spirit that's going to come and live in you. This, this is the promise of this time. God is not put off by our selfishness or our weakness or our lack of willpower. God says, no, don't worry about any of that. Draw near. I'm gonna fit. The plan is my spirit. You're going you're gonna to receive power. You're going to walk in intimacy with me. And in that intimacy, you will live a life that will draw other people. And you'll know that it's me drawing them because you know where you would go. You would go we would go to self-preservation. We would live out of our wounds, won't we? So here's what's happening this week. I am sending out a letter, actually, to all of our members. Tomorrow we'll get a, a letter, and I will kind of say a little of what we said and talk about our missions week and about how we raise money for our missionaries. That we've got this little pledge card that will be in all of the letters, and it just says uh, our goal this year is $210,000. That keeps them on the field for another year. And knowing most of us would not be able to give what we'd like to give in one gift, we make a way to make a pledge for the whole year because our missionaries, just like you and I do, work on a, a budget. And so what we ask here on this pledge is for everybody to pray and respond to the Holy Spirit. To offer ourselves as living sacrifices, say, God, this isn't about me. This is about you. This is about your purpose. All of my money, actually, is yours. Thank you that you let me use so much to, to get food and do things and that you don't mind blessing me in a thousand ways. But, God, this is yours. How would you have me participate? And what we do um, next, next Sunday, these, will be, these pledge cards will be on all of the giving tables and we'll encourage people to pick one up. And then during the missions week, if you want to turn them in, uh, on, on October 1st, the second Sunday of missions week, these will be in the bulletin and we'll have everybody stand up and we'll pray over this. And we're trying to have everybody put their pledge in or their gift in by that Sunday. And it's, guys, it's so amazing to see what the Spirit does. Last year, we raised... In one week, one offering of pledges, we raise the entire amount for the whole year. And we celebrate that together. (laughs) 
this, it's just such a picture of the body of Christ working because one of us couldn't do this alone, but if we just all do our part, our part as the Spirit leads us and make ourselves willing, um, God amazingly does the whole thing. And then he gives us this promise. This is from Philippians 4, and we'll close with this. He gives us this promise. The Philippians have been supplying Paul. Paul is their missionary, and he's, they keep sending aid to him. And Paul writes back and says, Your offering is a fragrant, uh, it's a fragrance before God. It rises like an aroma before God. And then he says this, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That when we lose our lives, Jesus says this, those who lose their lives find their lives. When we get to the end of ourselves, we find God and we find God's help and God's provision. And so there, needs, there need be no fear in giving. All right, could we have every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment? Maybe you're here today and you are in a dark hour. And maybe it hasn't just been dark. It's been very confusing. Why? Why is all this happening? Why are so many things going wrong? And so you're here today. You've been asking God why. And God's saying this. I love you so much. I want to work on the foundation. I want you to be secure in me. I want you to live more than for the cosmetics of this world. I want you to have a deep relationship with me. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and then opens the door, I will come into them and they will experience what it is to have intimacy with me. If that is you today, if the Savior is knocking. That's the call of God. That's God calling. That's God drawing near to you. That's the Father drawing you in. And you want to make a response. You want to open your door. This is between you and God. That's why our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But I love helping people pray a prayer because somebody helped me pray that prayer. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? And we're going to pray a prayer. I see those two hands and this hand and that hand in the back. I see this hand over on this side. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? I got you, bro. You can put that one down. Anybody else by upraised hand? I, is that a hand? Yep. God bless you in the balcony. Thank you. You can put that down. If you raised your hand, would you just put your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this privately to God? Lord, thank you for loving me. Dear God, thank you that you know me. You know everything that's shaking. You know everything that's confusing. You know everything that's hard and fearful right now. Jesus, thank you that you love me enough that you're knocking on my door today. Lord, right now, right now, by faith, I open my door and say, please, God, You're drawing near to me. I want to draw near to you. The nearness of God is my good. I do not want to embrace a secular life of cosmetics. I don't want to live just to comfort my own, numb my own pain. I want 
a real relationship with you just like Mindy has. I want that. Jesus, come and fill my heart. Give me your spirit. Empower me to be part of that purpose of drawing all people to yourself. I receive now by faith your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Woohoo! All right, could we, could we stand? Uh, now I just want to pray for everybody that's a Christian, including those that maybe just became a Christian. Would you just open your hands like this to the Lord? Lord, I'm so glad that you didn't make the final plan, human goodness, and us having to be these amazing people. I'm so glad that wasn't the final plan because that would be really discouraging. But you said, no, no, that's not what we're going to do. You go ahead and bring your brokenness, your weakness, your selfishness. You bring it to me. You wait on me. And I'm going to fill you with my Spirit's power. And you and I are going to change this world together. You and I are going to love this world beyond how you could have loved them. You and I are going to love them together. And I'm going to help you do not just what's easy and comfortable, but what's right and what's needed. Even when it costs you something. So Lord, we're here. Sign us up. Lord, I pray for our missionaries as they come. Lord, we need them. We need to hear their stories. They're going to be telling their stories each night, just like we've been doing our stories. Lord, inspire our hearts. Pour out your spirit as they're here and take us to a deeper place in you. Lord, this world desperately needs people that are not just living for the cosmetics and resurfacing the, their life to make it look a little better. They need people that have a foundation in you. Come, Lord. Fill us and make us everything you want us to be for your glory, for our good, and Jesus, for the good of this world that desperately needs you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. God bless you. Ministry teams at front.